0: Do you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just wanna have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. This week we continue the conversation about race and racism, specifically racism in the church. We're gonna catch up with speaker comedian, epic friend of mine, Mr. Jarrell
1: Roach. There are times where I've gone in places and see it in people's body language. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the way that they greet you
0: before we get going some updates from our sponsors big news for infinity beverages this week on the 28th that's Thursday May 28th 2020 they are going to be reopening their tasting room so if you are in the Eau Claire area make sure you come on down and support them if you're not just continue to support them by purchasing online rise Menominee continuing to support the health and nutrition goals of the people connected with them. Keep track of Rise Menominee on Facebook. That's Rise with a Z. Thanks to everybody who's been reaching out to me and letting me know of your thoughts and excitement over the new direction of Jesus Never Ran this year. That is unbelievably helpful. If you want to do that, just leave a comment On whatever app you listen to this podcast on and I will get it it's also really helpful if you give this show a rating so give it a five-star rating if you're listening on iTunes just click the fifth star there that's another way that people can find this podcast and then finally if you subscribe to it that is also extremely helpful as well Last week, we started our conversation about racism in the church with Professor Soon Chan-Ra. If you haven't listened to that one yet, be sure that you do. Such incredible insight on the history, on where we're at now, just the reality of this topic. This week, I interviewed Jarrell Roach. He's going to share what it's like to be a black man growing up in this culture, inside of the church and outside of the church. And I think his story is so important because we have a bad habit of making judgment calls on groups of people. And when we do that, sometimes we forget that we're talking about individuals. And so it's really important to hear stories from individuals who are dealing with the very thing that we're talking about. And then next week, you're going to hear my perspective on racism in America and specifically racism in the church. Because as a white man, looking back on what I've seen throughout the years, there are a lot of things that should bring up a lot of huge Question marks. And so we're just going to have open, honest dialogue about that. So, Jarrell Roach, amazing man, comedian, speaker, unbelievably talented. Here is a little bit about Jarrell and a little bit about his upbringing.
1: First and foremost, thank you for allowing this time, Matt. MK, my name is Jarrell Roach. My family was comes out of Clarksdale, Mississippi, small town in, in the South, man. And they have a own set of stories, their own set of stories that have helped shape us. three of us were born in the uh, Mississippi area. And then my youngest sister and I were born in Nebraska. My parents came to Nebraska for work. My dad was working on the railroad. Real quick backdrop, man, because it's taught me a lot. You know, my dad was the second oldest, third, second oldest, if I'm not mistaken, of his family. He grew up in a faith-based household two-family household. My mom lost both of her parents. One was murdered and one was lost to a on-job experience as an electrician. And uh, she was awarded the state. And so she ultimately was adopted by a woman that had uh, special needs kids. And then also her and my dad married young. And their whole journey led them through military a little bit, through a little bit of the workforce a little bit. And landing them in Nebraska. And I had the opportunity of growing up in a really neat neighborhood, man. It was a retired Air Force community called Air Park. It was right outside of Lincoln, which is the capital of Nebraska. And so it was kind of like a suburban spot. You know, it's like, I think it was probably like my first real experience with red zoning probably, a uh, former red zoning. Honestly, we were blessed though in a lot of ways. Now that I look at it, we grew up with diversity around us. Grew up in a Lutheran church, man and by god's grace we had this pastor rodney and melinda Henriks that were devoted to the mission field and international missions and they preached they taught and they led that way so you know our church was really colorful and it brought a different vibe like love the holy spirit love the expressive worship and i've seen that in whites blacks african americans africans uh, natives, Native Americans. And I was just really blessed on this place where I spent a lot of time school, church, my community. Yeah, man, we were just blessed to kind of grow up with a, a colorful background in a lot of ways. We were blessed in a lot of ways to grow up with parents that they were like in the struggles and they were just doing the best they could. We grew up with the, the racial tension though. It wasn't the South, but it wasn't unheard of to be called nigger by one of your friend's parents. It, it also was not unheard of to listen to African-Americans in my own family, call folks Cracker and Peckerwood. And it wasn't an also unlikely to have my, you know, my Latino neighbors call us things. And I like, when I started learning Spanish and what those words, and then I was like, you know, you wrong for that. And, uh, you know, we got called nigger by them too. And then we grew up in a society also where hip hop was important to us. And even though we couldn't necessarily embrace everything that was rapped about or that the lyrics portrayed, you know, you were oftentimes call nigger through that then in society you grow up around folks that clearly tell you you know they can't hang out with you because you're black and as a young african-american as a young black or brown boy however you put it growing up in that kind of society for your whole first part of your life you learn well And you observe very well there's a lot of places to be hurt and a lot of places to be better you know Lincoln was at one point considered the skinhead capital of the Midwest
0: growing up as a young black man in what is known as the skinhead capital of the Midwest allowed me to understand that I assume Jarrell has some stories of when he experienced racism as a young boy growing up so I asked him about that and he said he had so many stories but if you had to pick one it would be this story from when he was just in eighth grade.
1: We were coming out of the mall and uh, there was this car driving through the uh, crosswalk and it sped up and uh, it was me and two white brothers, two white sisters and it sped up and one of our white brothers, he flips the car off and uh, the car stops in the middle of the parking lot and these dudes jump out, these men, and they chase us down, we take off running, and they chased us down and one of the brothers went and he hid in one of the office buildings. The girls kept jetting across to the other side of the mall. And one brother stayed with me. One white brother he stayed with me. His name is Mike. And gentlemen came down screaming like irate. It was like a spectacle. They were just screaming, ah, where are I? And you wanna talk some stuff? I mean, it was like, what is going on? It was so confusing. For one point, you know, one point I tried to speak up and I was like, hey man, we're just kids and you need to leave us alone. And one of the guys chimes in, I guess that made him upset or even more upset. These brothers surround me, oh, just screaming and kicking off all sorts of stuff. Nigger this, nigger that. But I remember one of the guys literally going, oh, you piece of shit, nigga, I'll lynch you, I'll kill you. Your family this, your family that. And, you know, I remember he was trying to get a raise out of me. So he kept flinching at me, he kept putting his forehead against my forehead. And remind you, I'm in eighth grade pretty scared by this point my white buddy over there he's hanging out kind of on the outside of the circle while these dudes are just you know by this time like all three of them were shouting I mean loud and my buddy Mike is the one that stands up for me he kind of repeats what I repeat he said hey man will not you just leave him alone we're just kids and I remember one of the dude kind of breaks away from the group and it gets quiet again he's like the one of the guys challenges I he's like what did you say what did you say And he goes to say it again, hey, man, won't you just leave him? And before he can even get out, I remember the guy kind of like pushes him, he's challenging him, and then he grabs him by his shirt, and he grabs him by his face, and he slams his head into the wall. And my little eighth grade buddy, dude, you know, scared as heck, on the ground. Now this dude is harming his own people, I guess. And the the thing about Mike is Mike grew up in a, a racial home. I mean, like his family would say stuff about me when I came up. It was just this aura of hate that i remember seeing and remember growing up with and he had the right to not say anything at all but he did and i tell his story as much as i can because that story changed my life
0: i like i'm sure many of the listeners of this podcast did a lot of stupid things when i was young but i never found myself in a situation like jerrell did because he's a black man and i'm a white man that's the difference that's the difference between our story But the crazy thing about listening to Jarrell retell that story, and it's amazing to me how much clarity he can remember. He can remember such detail about what happened. I mean, an eighth grader, that's 13, 14 years old. Can you imagine an eighth grader being surrounded in a public place in the middle of your hometown, getting told that somebody's going to lynch you or kill you or go after your family? That could have really caused some Extreme damage in Jarrell's life. But when you listen to him tell the story, he doesn't dwell so much on what happened to him. The part that he says changed his life is when his friend, who was white and came from a racist family, when that friend stood up for him. And it cost his friend a lot when he stood up for him. You heard the story. But when that friend stood up for him, that's what changed Jarrell's life. And I think we need to hear that. Because when things happen in our culture, in our world today, and when they're horrible stories that we're hearing on the news or that we're hearing from friends, they're horrible things. But if we want to change somebody's life in the face of something like that, we need to stand up and we need to stand up for what is right. Now, we grow up going to history class in our schools And I think we can all admit that our history classes are skewed towards the history of white Americans. And it's important to hear the perspective of somebody who's not white, what they heard growing up in those history classes, what they saw and how they digested and dealt with what they saw and what they heard. And honestly, how they heard their own story in the midst of a history that's skewed towards white Americans.
1: You know, I started getting exposed to African-American history in elementary school. But then I also, it was also not only via school, but it was people that exposed me to it and educated me on it. I've always found it fascinating to see what our people have gone through. It just seems like so much of our story in American history has been brutal. It's been paved forward with force in a lot of ways. And I just really believe that we have to look at sin and go, that's real we have to also be able to look at the history and the reality of it and go that person is responsible for that and in my history in my upbringing a child sees that and it's it's kind of hard because you don't know what to say and do about it if you don't have the right upbringing you know i remember i had a mama first christian only christian in our household for a long time teach us that you ain't going to hate people you're going to love people that's what you're going to do because that's what christ does for us and I remember seeing photos, you see them in books, you see them on TV, I remember seeing lynchings. and It was devastating for a young brother to see that. When you see this reality, the realness of people that look like you hanging from trees or drugged through the streets or filled with bullet holes and set on fire as if one wasn't enough or shackled or their teeth beat in with, with metal objects because they spoke back to White's or Emmett Till's story. As a young man that stood out to me and it messed me up. You know, a young man just accused of whistling at a young white lady. No evidence, but it's a whistle. Drugged out of his house, beaten to death, where his own mother couldn't recognize his face. You remember seeing photos of your people hung. You remember seeing photos of grown men and blue collar, white collar workers, clergy, law enforcement, bank owners, and then kids smiling. It's not anything I take lightly. It's not anything that makes me mad at people anymore. It's not anything that makes me so mad that it makes me hate people. It doesn't make me bitter anymore, but it makes me not forget. And it makes me confident in who I am and how people can be. When you see that, and then when you say you see something like, mr Maud's story recently where he was chased down from someone that wanted to perform a citizen arrest and they felt justified because of an accusation and nothing even legit just an accusation in their own head and they chase someone down in the name of the law confront a man that has a tendency to defend himself because he's a man and because he's a person and because someone is threatening his life and accusing him to only be shot down in the middle of the street and then for us to justify it, I mean, this was someone killed, murdered, hunted down and murdered. What was this use last time? What was this used the last thousands of times? What was the excuse? What was the justification? And and it doesn't make me mad at people anymore. It gives me confidence of how far people will take things, and what sin does to de- like literally, literally paralyze people from making the right decisions. So I don't go out and target every white person and be like, oh, see God. It just gives me the confidence to know where sin can take us and who we can become in the midst of fear and in the midst of being simple, broken people. And my trust is in Jesus, my hope is in Jesus, so I can know He can change us, period.
0: Both Jerrell and Dr. Rob from last week call racism what it is. They call it sin. And that's exactly what it is because sin is separation from God and racism is a separation from the heart of God without a doubt Jarrell makes a career out of speaking and from comedy and many of his gigs or his appearances are in churches several times he goes to churches where he is maybe the only or one of the only people that's not white in the room and so I asked him if he has experienced racism of any sort within the church walls that he's walked into.
1: There are times where I've gone in places and you can see it in people's body language. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the way that they greet you. You can see it in the words that they share. You can see it in the caution that they take that their encounter with you is oftentimes the first or the few encounters that they've had. Um, You can see when people are, are extremely uncomfortable with you. You can see when people don't believe you, not because you're not preaching the truth, but because they don't believe you. You can feel that. You can sense that. You know, you can see when people avoid you. You can see when people discount you. You can see body language. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their demeanor because you've lived it. You've lived it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And so, yes, to answer that question, yes, several times. Oh, yeah, easy, several times. You don't always know where it comes from, but you see the end of it.
0: Jarrell and I ended up in a conversation where I was referencing Dr. Ra's work from last week's episode, where he has discovered that by the year 2050, that Caucasians will be a minority in America. In 2016, the incoming kindergarten class was more non-whites than whites. And so this is something that is just happening in our culture. It's not a bad thing, it's not a good thing. It just is a thing. And when Jarrell heard that he had some phenomenal insight into the response that seems to be happening because of it.
1: You know, I feel like information like that can, they can feel like a threat to so many, especially when we think of the majority of a figure, say like a white male in many realms. And so for for many um, that doesn't feel welcoming for many because of the, the history that we've lived in and because we have had discussions that point blame where, where sometimes people feel attacked, where sometimes people have to look at that over and over and over and over again, uh, where the truth doesn't change because it's the truth. And when then you start looking at statistics that say, man, this is coming, that feels threatening, that feels impeding. Sometimes in people's heart, they go, we have to preserve what looks like us. It's not just a white practice. It it can be many practices, but people go, we have to preserve what looks like us. The Bible actually calls us to all nations, not just what looks like us. And that feels scary. And if you're the majority, the one that has written the narrative, mainly the one that has told the narrative, the one that has been able to scratch the real narrative and add what you want to to the narrative, no blink. It's, it's just the truth. Then we oftentimes gotta go, that does not feel like what we want. How do we replace it with what we really need? We have to be responsible from writing the narrative that we need the world to really hear. So we're looking at the gaps and, and we're looking at disparities going, why does that happen? Because things got left out. And when you start at the truth and you start filling it in with honesty and what's really happening, you're like, oh, that's the gap. Now they're just not as dumb as we think. Now they're just not losing just like we think.
0: We have this horrible tendency in our history to bury our heads in the sand when things get uncomfortable. When, when it seems like we had something to do with something horrible, we just write a new narrative and pretend like that's good enough. But it's not good enough because if we truly want to represent Jesus in this world, we have to take on a narrative that we create together. We can't just make up our own to make ourselves feel better about our history.
1: It doesn't really matter in some degrees where we are at. It's where we are pointing our feet. You lead sheep and you point sheep by rivers and green pastures. That's the goal. That's how we guide people. And that is a hundred percent of the thing that we all can do. Not just during a month, not just during an event, but it needs to be woven in how we speak. It needs to be woven in our literature. It needs to be woven in our music. It needs to be, that's consciousness, right? I can turn it to a station down here and all I get is contemporary Christian. I got to go to like series or something like that to get something that sounds like folks that look like me that run a little bit. Ah, you know, that do that stuff a little bit. That's some of my white brothers and sisters like, oh, that is too much. And then like some of our black folks are walking to church like, oh, y'all so quiet, right? And so like it's the consciousness and we have to invite people to be their freed self while pointing at the need point to what jesus wanted jesus said all nations he meant all nations in order for god to win the world we actually have to go into it and so we have to posture our church to have to have a consciousness the next idea is affiliation what do we begin to tie our confidence and our faith to whether it's one organization or multiple organizations or where do we discover Who are we tied to in our church? Affiliation. And then affiliation then moves us into action. Not just action, because consciousness is action, right? Moving intentionally towards something is an action. But then action meaning, let's put some feet on this thing, some hands on this thing, let's create some quantifiable information. Not just justify, quantify, and go, is this really worth? That's important. We have to be okay with tearing up some stuff. We have to be okay with paving new lanes.
2: We are all holy in the rough, so don't let these lies dictate who you love, cause the waters will rise, for the rains are sure to come, and on that they will marvel at what we will come until then. Yeah, we got lost in our good fortune.
0: If we really want this to get any better in our culture, in our world, we have to ask ourselves what is it that we can do? And we have to have a consciousness, like Jarrell said. Think about what we have around us. And then think about who you're tied to, your affiliation. And then finally, take some action do something don't expect diversity to come to you you will need to go towards diversity the burden is on our shoulders each and every one of us what are we going to do about this this will not get better all by itself be aware of what's around you think about who and what you're tied to and what action step are you going to take to be a part of the change that we need in our country, in our world, and in our churches. I certainly hope you enjoyed my music selection this week. That was extremely intentional. Hey, if you love Jarrell Roach as much as I do, you can find out more about him at jroachpresentations.com. And of course, you can find him on Facebook, on Instagram, YouTube, Anywhere you think you might be able to find him, you will be able to find him. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep the conversation going. Let's root this issue out of our culture and out of our churches. And as always, we'll see you
2: next time. This is the tell it. Yes, times I do get overwhelmed by the relationship between love for others and love for self. But I refuse to put these things around knowledge on the shelf. Because regardless of any religion, I believe that real wealth is measured by peace and joy. And how can I have no balance when so many lives destroyed? These are realities that I cannot avoid. Inconvenient truths that I cannot ignore. And I'm so sorry because I wish I did more. But I'm only one man and it's a big world. And I know deep down in my core that I am no messiah.